Woo. So guys, I'm going to tell you all a story. It was December 23rd, 2019, one month ago today. I'm at my aunt's house in Houston, Texas, and I'm watching my three-year-old cousin, Wyatt, and he is opening presents. And some of y'all, do you have like little siblings or like family members that like got to open presents in front of you, right? Like that's an experience. They're just like, like, like they go nuts. And it's like the funnest thing to watch in the world, right? And so I'm watching Wyatt. And he's getting some really cool presents. He gets like this big old tractor that's like big enough he can put his sister in and push her around, right? Um, he gets a musical toy, which is every parent's favorite gift because it annoys them to death. He got clothes, every kid's favorite gift, right? Um, he got a dinosaur blanket, like in the shape of a dinosaur, though. So it's pretty cool. But if you guys know, during Christmas, there's always that gift, right? Like, like the gift you're like, oh, like I got a hot dog bun toaster. Like, like that gift, right? Like the, the, the gift that you're like, thanks, Aunt Jane. Um, Wyatt got one of those gifts, and he got it from none other than my own mom. Um, and this is, what, this is what it is. I took a picture of it. It was this bad That says, small, a wooden man. <laughs> On top of the fact that it looks like a girl, um, I, I'll tell you, we didn't know either. It's a magic trick. And the way it's supposed to work is like, you knock it over, and then it always reassembles itself, right? But y'all, it's a magic trick. You kind of, honestly, I think you need magic powers to understand how to put that thing together. Because I didn't take a picture of it, but... I mean, you see that that's not in English, right? So, and that was their translation job. So not, not that good, right? Uh, and it was awful, too, because we're sitting there, and all the parents are laughing and the adults. And then Wyatt's like, Daddy, make it work. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, son. I don't know how to make this work. Now, you'll be incredibly surprised to know, but this little toy made me think of something in the Bible. I, I know. That's what I said. Uh, last week, Charles started us on a series where we're talking about the letters of Paul, right? And these letters, um, Paul took an incredible amount of time. He put incredible value behind these letters. And we're talking about the letter to the Galatians. And it's actually from Galatians that that little toy reminded me of. And so it's this verse. It's one, Galatians 1, 11 through 12. And, he, and Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, what the heck does small a wooden man and this passage have to do with each other? Um, so just out of curiosity, how many of you guys enjoy, like, building or assembling things? Yeah? So, like, if you were to get this toy or if you were to go to Ikea and get furniture, like, like you want to, okay, so for those of you who raised your hands, who are the people that are, like, follow the manual every single step of the way, every single bit? Who of y'all are the ones that are like, yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out? <laughs> I am a follow it to the T kind of guy. I want this thing to work, and it, I mean, I'll just say this. I, I made a dresser for Heather, and I got, like, two hours in, and then I realized I did something wrong, right? And you're just like, it's defeating, right? Because these manuals, 
we all know it. They're not that easy to understand. Like sometimes, you know, there's this crucial step, but there's no picture for it. Or it says like, turn on side, but there's eight sides, and you're like, I don't know what side to turn it on, right? Sometimes it says something like, you know, invert nodule lengthwise 180 degrees, and you're like, I don't understand any of those words. And sometimes, friends, sometimes for Christmas, your mom also gets you small a wooden man. <laughs> it is indeed in here. Guys, I did a succeed in assembling this, kind of. Um, I had to use glue because the pieces didn't fit. I didn't understand. I mean, I kind of understood. You know, it took... We all know this. When you're making something, when you're doing that, right, there's like a moment where you're like, I don't get this, right? And then you go, oh, that's how it works, right? And then it works. And I had that moment with this toy, and it was, well, it still didn't, you know, work. So I'll show it to you later if you want to see it. It's kind of dinky, but that's beside the point. The whole point I'm trying to say is that when we're building something, when we're assembling something, there's that moment where we go, oh, I get it, right? And the same thing is true in the things of God. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine, I texted him today, and I just said, hey, man, this, you, you changed my life when you said this. And he said this, information has to become revelation in order for there to be transformation, Information has to become revelation in order for there to be transformation in your life. With this little toy, it took a moment of going, oh, I get it. The, the information on the page, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's poor translation, right? But there was a moment where I was like, I get what they're going for. And then I was able to take these pieces and put it together. And the same is true, right? How many times do you, you, you hear someone preach on love? You, you know, you hear someone say, God loves you a hundred times, but then one day it clicks and something changes in you. And you're like, God loves me. That is what we're talking about with revelation. And just like that, just like that little toy, if we're going to have any hope of there being transformation in our life, of something changing for good, then we're in desperate need of revelation. And I think this is what Paul is talking about in this passage. He's saying, look, the gospel I preach, the, the gospel that has changed my life, the gospel that's compelled me to give up everything for Jesus, I did not hear that from men. I didn't learn it in a book. I didn't learn it from some creeds. I didn't learn it in Bible school. No, I received this gospel as a revelation from Jesus Christ himself. And that revelation changed my life. And I don't assume to be Paul, nor am I attempting to add to the Bible, but I do believe that if Paul were to ask a question following this verse, I believe he'd ask this. Is your faith information or is it revelation? And if you're like, oh, I, how do I figure that out? Then you just ask, are you transformed? Are you changed? So to understand how big of a deal this was to Paul, what he said in this verse, and how big of a deal it is for us to know 
revelation, right? We, we need our faith to be revelation, not just information. We've got to look at who Paul was, all right? Not who Paul is when he wrote the letters, but who he was before that. And Paul, I'm just going to read his own words. He says this about himself. If someone else thought they had reason to put confidence in themselves, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, as the law commands. I was born of the people of Israel, God's chosen people. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. In regards to zeal, I persecuted the church in the name of God. And as for righteousness, based on obeying the law, I was faultless. This dude's like, he's pretty, pretty sure of himself, right? But he's not, he's not too far off, right? Paul's job, he was a Pharisee, which meant his job and his profession and his entire meaning for life was to know the law of God. And on top of that, he didn't just know the law, he actually tried to live it out, right? And he was confident enough to say, hey, I've, I've obeyed it all. I'm faultless, right? And then he's trained by a man named Gamaliel, who's, who's the greatest Jew, one of the greatest Jewish teachers in history, right, at, at one of the best schools for Judaism. And so we've got Paul here, trained in the best university by the best professor in the university. He's the star pupil in the class. He's smarter than everyone. He's holier than everyone. He's more passionate than everyone else around him. And yet, in the very chapter where Paul is introduced, it says that he was a violent, murderous, driven man who vowed to destroy Christianity as his religious duty and honor to God. But my question is like, how did this happen? How did he get here? Right? And I believe if we look at Paul's life and compare him to the 12 disciples of Jesus, we'll start to see it. Because, you see, Paul and Jesus and the disciples, they all grew up in the same time period under the same worldview of Judaism. They had the same verses, the same ones that Jesus brought to life, in the presence of the disciples were the same ones that Paul was studying at university. The same prophecies of the Messiah that Jesus claimed to have fulfilled were the same prophecies Paul was poring over in his personal time. The same temple Jesus taught and the same Pharisees Jesus debated, the same towns Jesus and his disciples visited were the same temple, the same Pharisees, and the same towns Paul was acquainted with. So the question is why? Why is it that 12 uneducated fishermen had their lives radically transformed and Paul, the most qualified, most well-informed, most well-educated Jew of his time, missed it? Whoa, that scared me. I don't know what happened. One sec. The same information that the disciples had was the same information Paul had, the exact same. But why was it so different? And as far as I can see, Paul tells us, he says, he, he pretty much admits, look, my understanding of Jesus, it's just hearsay. It's just secondhand stories. It's just what other people have told me. Whereas the disciples had a revelation of God by being face-to-face with God in the person of Jesus. And until Paul had a similar revelation, nothing was going to change in his life. And until you and I have revelation from God, we won't be changed either. 
You see, in church today, many of us have been taught that if we just receive the facts about Jesus, we'll, we'll somehow be different, right? We've mixed up um, religious information with spiritual revelation. But the reality is that faith is not just a mental ascent. It's not just agreeing with the facts, right? It, because facts and information on its, on, the, on its own, by itself, will not change you. And here's what I mean by this. Um, we're going to look at, the, not statistics, like we're not going to look at statistics. We're going to talk about the idea of statistics. So how many of you guys have ever been like at some event and, you know, they, they have like a special guest come up and they start sharing about their nonprofit and they're like, we want you to support us. You know, look at all these statistics, all these children that are, you know, starving, this many people, and they give you all these numbers, right? We've all been there, yeah? Okay. Or you've been like in a class where your classmate, you know, they have to present their project and you have to pretend like you're interested because you want class, you know, participation. Or, heaven forbid, you've seen that, to me, very awful ASPCA commercial with the dogs and the arms of the that like, And you're just like, I, <laughs> thanks for making me cry for four minutes. Like, but they, they tell you all these statistics, right? We've all heard the pitch. We've all gotten the statistics dump. And what do we do every time? We go, oh, geez, those numbers are crazy. Or we're like, oh, my heart breaks for those kids in Africa. Or like, oh, poor doggies. Like, someone's got to do something. Or like, wow, over 2 billion people don't know the name of Jesus. We ooh and we ah at the statistics. But let me ask you this. How many of us have ever actually gone out and done something? based on just the statistics? How many of us have actually gone out and done something about poverty or world hunger or child abuse or sex trafficking or the evangelization of the lost? How many of us have lived our lives transformed because of just the information that was presented? Now hear me rightly, I'm not ragging on statistics, I'm not ragging on these groups. We've got to know where we are so we can know where we're going, right? But by itself... Information won't change us. And I'm sure there's some of you that when I asked that question, you said, well, I've given before. I've gone. And you have, and I know that. But it wasn't just the information. It was because there was revelation too. Maybe your family grew up, and they, they always adopted abused dogs. And so you really do care, and you do these kind of things. Brooklyn, I know that you care. You know what I mean? But you've had revelation. Or maybe your best friend growing up was really poor, and so you have a heart for people that, that struggle in poverty. Or maybe you've lived overseas and you've seen what it's like in a country where they can't know Jesus, right? You've had a revelation with that information, and that is what changed it. It's not until we meet the kid in Africa or meet the missionary who lives with the lost or come into contact with the neglected and abused or come into contact with people that are hurting and broken. It's not until then that the information will become revelation that will change our lives. You guys, Paul had all the information. He had, I mean, he had better opportunities, a better upbringing, a better education, better culture. He had better everything than the 12 disciples, and yet he still missed it. He still missed it that Jesus was the Messiah, and instead of joining him, he tried to kill his followers. And what Paul's life 
prior to knowing Jesus shows me is that we can have all the information in the world about Christianity or about Jesus or about the Bible. We could know everything about God, but if that faith is only information, it's never going to transform us. But thank God that was not the end of Paul's story. Thank God that he still speaks and reveals himself to us today. So going back, we look at Paul, right? Right before he's like persecuting the church, he's trying to kill Christians. He's trying to, to wipe out Christianity as his duty to God. And he's on, it's the famous story of the Damascus Road. He's on his way to a city to kill more Christians. And this blinding light just, I mean, knocks him to the ground. I always imagined he was on a horse, but it doesn't say that. So that's just my imagination. But he falls to the ground. And Jesus starts speaking to him, and he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he, Paul, he doesn't have an answer. I'm like, what are you supposed to say? Like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and so Jesus keeps talking, and he just says, hey, go on to Damascus, and you'll be told what to do next. And the light fades, and the revelation is over, and the moment passes, but when Paul opens his eyes, he's blind. He can't see anymore. And so just want to point out something that's really huge here that we need to notice is that this was not Paul's salvation experience. A lot of people will say, hey, this is where Paul got saved, but it wasn't. Jesus nowhere says to him, hey, you're my disciple now. I just saved you even though you hate me and you don't like me and you don't like my friends, right? He didn't say that. He didn't even say anything. He didn't say one word about salvation. He just said, get up, go to the city, and you'll be told what to do next, And the reason that this is such a big deal is simply because Paul had a choice. Paul had a choice to obey Jesus or to ignore him. And the future of Paul's life hung on his response. He had two options. He could obey, go to the city and wait for instructions, or he could, you know, instead ignore and then either A, go to the city and try to kill the Christians blind, or he could just go back home, but he'd still be blind. Here's the catch. Whatever choice Paul made, based on the revelation that Jesus gave to him, he was going to be transformed. We see when information becomes revelation, every one of us has a choice. And it's that choice and our response to the revelation we receive that is going to determine how our lives are transformed. You see, if Paul had ignored the revelation of Jesus, then for the rest of his life, he would have been a blind man, and for the rest of his life, he would have become angrier and more lost. He'd been farther from God than he ever thought he could be. But instead, if he took the course that Jesus laid out before him and obeyed and responded rightly, as he did, we know he did, then the scales would fall from his eyes, the, the blindness would leave, and truth would reign in his heart. And we get the man who wrote that letter because he obeyed. When information becomes revelation, there will be transformation based on our response. If Paul, man, if, if, you, if you go along with it, then you're changed for the good. If you reject it, 
you're changed for the worse. But thank God, Paul chose to obey and to go with what Jesus said. If Paul were sitting here today, he'd, I believe he'd ask the same question that I asked. Is your, or has your life been transformed? Are you changed? And if you're like, I, I don't think so, maybe in some parts, then he would go deeper and say, is your faith information or revelation? Because there will never, your life will never be changed unless we first receive revelation and respond accordingly to that. So what's our response tonight? How do we respond to what the Lord is speaking? I've given you a lot of shuns tonight. It's a weird word to say. Information, revelation, transformation. And we give you one more. Cooperation. Our response tonight, I believe, is cooperation. Cooperation between our will, our choice, and God's spirit. From information to revelation and from revelation to transformation, there has to be cooperation to see change. For information to become revelation in our lives, it looks like this, saying, God, I know that I cannot conjure up some revelation of you. I can't fake it till I make it, and I cannot force you to show yourself to me. I can't truly know you unless you reveal yourself to me. But what I can do is I can get on my knees, and I can stay there, and I can say, I'm not leaving till I meet with you, Jesus. It's cooperation with God. We wrestle, we hold on, we draw near, and He reveals Himself. And then for revelation to thereby cause transformation in our lives, it's like this. God, you've revealed yourself to me. You've told me what you want to do. You've, you've told me who you say I am. But honestly, God, I'm, I'm kind of scared, and I don't, I don't know how to do that. But I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to walk in faith. I'm just going to walk towards you. And I'm going to trust that your spirit is going to guide me and lead me. Our will, God's spirit, in cooperation, bringing about change in our lives. And just imagine, I, if you know me, I love asking what if. Just imagine what would happen if we would cooperate with God as he reveals himself to us. What if tonight, during our response time, you got on your knees at the altar up here or at your seat, and you said, God, I don't want to get up off my knees until I meet with you, until you reveal yourself to me. And then when he does, because I believe he will, because he loves to reveal himself to his children, when he does, what if you said, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey, I'm going to do whatever it is you say. Just imagine how different you'll be when you walk out of this room. Or what if tonight you go home and you say, I'm not going to sleep until I have a fresh revelation of God, even if it means I'm up all night and I don't get to sleep before class. Imagine what God would do in your life as you seek him like that, and then you say, I'm going to live up to whatever you say. Or what if right now you said, next time I crack open my Bible, I'm not stopping until God reveals himself to me. Even if that's one, one whole book, two whole books, ten whole books, I'm not stopping. Just imagine how much bigger God will be 
Or what if, heaven forbid, you ask God to reveal your sin to you and to ask, you, ask him to show you how he sees it? Do you think that might have enough power to, to cause change in your life, to, to give you victory over the things that you struggle with? Or some of you struggle with identity and, and wanting to appear a certain way for, before people. What if tonight you said, God, reveal to me what you say my identity is? Just imagine the freedom you'll have to not have to try and live up to someone else, but just say, this is who my dad says I am. I have freedom to be me. But for as much as we need God to reveal himself personally, we also need him to reveal himself for the work he has for us. Small group leaders, what if you came to small group every week with a fresh revelation from God? What if instead of saying, what's something cool I can talk about or something good, right? It's not bad, but something good. What if instead you said, God, what do you want me to talk about? And I'm, until you speak, I'm not writing anything down. Do you think that would change your small group? Or small group members? What if every week you came to small group amped up to share what God had been revealing to you? Do you think that might change the tone of your small group? To know that what God reveals to you is just as big a deal as what he's revealing to your small group leader? What if at the next basketball game, you stopped for just a couple minutes and you looked around, and you said, God, reveal to me how you see these thousands of students. Reveal to me how you see them. Do you think that would maybe change the way that you fight for people on campus? Or what if you ask God to reveal to you the need for laborers here at WVU, here in the U.S., or to the unreached all across the world? What if you ask God to share with you how his heart breaks for the lost? Do you think that might compel you to do something? Do you think that revelation might compel you to serve your small group right now or to, to go through LTC and be a small group leader or to do the Chi Alpha internship or to give a year overseas when you graduate or to support missionaries financially and sacrificially? Do you think that if you had God's his revelation of the lost, that would change you? If our lives are going to be radically transformed if WVU is going to be radically transformed, if the history of the nations are going to be radically transformed, then we are in desperate need of revelation from God. The band can go ahead and come back up. And as they come up, there's one final thing that I, I just believe we have to know about a faith that's based on revelation, and it's this, that revelation equals responsibility. Revelation equals responsibility. When God reveals himself to us, we are responsible for that that, that that he reveals. The measure of revelation we have is the measure of responsibility. The greater revelation, the greater responsibility. But catch this. God will never give you more revelation if you're not first responsible with what he's already given. So if you're wondering, man, God, God doesn't speak to me. A good question to ask is, have I been obedient to the last thing he said? Y'all, revelation from God, it's not a light thing. But then again, anything that can change the very framework of your life typically isn't a light thing. In closing, I just want to share with you from my own life. Um, 
some revelation that God gave me last year that absolutely, completely changed my life. And so many of y'all probably don't know this. Uh, 2019 was undeniably uh, the hardest year of my life. Um, I experienced more pain, more suffering, more brokenness last year than I've gone through any other point in my life. And I'm not just talking about my arm. Um, that, that did hurt, I will say. But as I was preparing the sermon, it was cool. So Heather asked me probably like four or five days ago. And so she was reading this book called Tale of Three Kings. And she asked me, and she said, hey, when's the last time you read this? So I looked it up, because I track when I read my books, and I was like, it was like early 2019, like March, April time. I was like, why, why do you ask? She said, well, you wrote something in the margin, and it's just, I think you need to look at it. And so I want to read you the passage, and then what I wrote next to it. And so he says this, God has a university. It is a small school. Few enroll, even fewer graduate. Very few indeed. God has this school because he does not have broken men and women. Instead, he has several other types of people. He has people who claim to have God's authority and don't. People who claim to be broken and aren't. And people who do have God's authority, but who are mad and unbroken. And he has, regretfully, a great mixture of everything in between. All these he has in abundance, but broken men and women hardly at all. In God's sacred school of submission and brokenness, why are there so few students? It's this, because all students in this school must suffer much pain. And I wrote in the margin, Lord, enlist me in this school. Y'all, there are some really scary prayers you can pray because God will answer them. And that was one of them. But friends, can I tell you this? For as much as I was broken last year, as much as the pain I went through, God revealed himself to me in ways that I have never known him before. And what he revealed to me was just a fraction of this thing that the Bible calls the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Before, it was just a term. Some of y'all probably haven't even heard of it before. But in 2019, God revealed to me even just a small part of what it meant to join in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Do you know that in all the world, there is not one person who can look you in the eye and say, hey, I, I know what's going on in your life. I understand. We throw those phrases around, but we don't. You and I could go through the exact same situation, the exact same tragedy, and we would be experiencing worlds different, right? Our, our reactions would be so different. But while there's not one person on this earth who can say, I know, Jesus can look you in the eye, and he can say, I know. And in 2019, at my lowest points, at my hardest points, Jesus looked me in the eye and he said, I know. I know the pain you feel, I've felt it too. I know the brokenness inside, I've lived that brokenness. I know. 
And that simple revelation, that simple truth that Jesus knew down to every fiber of brokenness in me exactly what I was going through, that revelation radically transformed my life as I have believed it and I have walked in it. And I am not the same and I will never be the same. And I know my king in a way I never knew him before. I walked out the revelation Jesus gave me And I know from lived experience that you can have joy in suffering because Jesus knows and is with you. Y'all, there's a high responsibility to live up to what God reveals to us. But let me tell you this, whatever the cost, it is worth it. You will never live a boring life seeking revelation from God and obeying it. It may not be safe. It will not be easy, but it will not be boring, and it is absolutely worth it. So tonight, man, my prayer of my heart is that you would seek God, and you say, Lord, reveal yourself to me in a new way, or reveal yourself to me for the first time. I don't know you, God. Reveal yourself to me. And then in cooperation with His Spirit, let us be transformed into His likeness and His character so that we might know him more and more. Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you would reveal the Father tonight. Spirit of God, would you reveal the Son tonight? For people, Jesus, who are hurting, would you reveal your love for them? God, for people who are are wanting to know you deeper and more, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself tonight. Lord, you are the only one who can do it. We can't make you do it. We can't force you to do it. But I also know that you are a father who loves to give good gifts. And then, God, I pray for us that we would respond accordingly to what you say. Whether it's easier, whether it's hard, would we respond, Jesus, in cooperation with what you want to do so that we would know you more so that our lives would be changed, and so that people's lives would be changed through us. We ask you to do this tonight, Jesus, in your name. Amen.